Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for hearing our prayers. And Father, help us to be a very prayerful group of people. Father, help us to have care and compassion for each other. Help us to lift our prayers to you. And Father, we thank you for hearing those prayers and responding to our prayers and acting on behalf of those we are praying for. And Father, we just do not understand how you could love us so much that you would allow us to come into your presence with our requests, with our cares, our concerns. But Father, we thank you that you are that God. And Father, we thank you for your word that you have given us. Father, we thank you for this letter that James wrote centuries ago that has been passed down to us. Father, we thank you for his words of counsel and wisdom that just speak to us today just like they spoke to the people who first read it centuries ago. Father, help us to be people who not only hear these words and not only read these words, but help us to be people who do these words. We want to be that kind of person. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So this morning, we do continue our study of the book of James. James is a letter that was written by the brother of Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating letter on many levels. And one of the ways that it's fascinating is because of the man who wrote it and the transformation that took place in his life. We saw that James went from being the embarrassed and uh, unbelieving little brother of Jesus Christ to the pillar of Jesus' church in Jerusalem. And we also saw that when James looked out at his dispersed and harassed children who had been dispersed because of persecution, he wanted to let them know what was important. He wanted to let them know what was on his heart. So he sat down and he wrote this letter, a letter full of advice and full of counsel. And this letter is as relevant to us today as it was to those who first read it centuries ago. And that's why we're able to read this letter as if it was written to us by our dear brother James. We've seen that James is concerned about many things. And one of the things that he's really concerned about, he's concerned about how we will face and deal with the inevitable trials that come to us in life. The inevitable trials that come to us as we live in these mortal bodies and as we live in this contingent universe. And James knows that those kind of trials can lead us to question God. It can lead us to ask questions like, why are you allowing this to happen to me, God? Or even more strongly, why are you doing this to me, God? And James reassures us that God has not deserted us. And he reassures us that God is not punishing us. And he even tells us that we can find joy in our trials. We can find joy in the fact that God is always with us in our trials. And we can find joy in the fact that God is eager to give us the wisdom that we need in order to make it through life's trials. And we can find joy in knowing that he works through our trials to make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And we can find joy in knowing that when this temporary life is over and when these temporary trials are over, there's a new life, there's a better life that awaits those who persevere, those who endure. And James is also concerned about how we deal with trials because he knows that oftentimes trials not only lead us to question God, but they can lead us to be beaten down, to be worn down, make us vulnerable to answering temptation's mating call. Make us vulnerable to answering temptation's mating call. And that mating call, if we answer it, it joins together with our desires and it gives birth to sin. And then that gives birth to eternal death. And James also reassures us 
that our holy God never tempts us to do evil things. Satan is the tempter. But even he doesn't make us sin. We bear personal responsibility to nip temptation in the bud by not even picking up the phone and answering temptation's call. And thanks be to our God, we haven't been left alone in our trials and we haven't been left alone in our temptations. And we know that we can endure if we will stay connected to God and if we will stay connected to his people and if we will bring our sin out of the darkness and bring it into God's light so that God can forgive us and so God can heal us. And today, we'll see that there's no let up in James. He continues to address things that hit really close to home for me and I'm guessing are going to hit really close to home for you as well. So today, James's message for us is this. Don't be people who just hear the word. Be people who do the word. James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. They should be slow to speak. And they should be slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So we see that James starts out this section of his letter by presenting a proverb. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He says this is who we ought to be, but he also knows this is who we often struggle to be. To rephrase it, we are to be people who should hurry up and listen. We should be anxious to listen. We should be eager to listen. We should rapidly pursue opportunities to listen. Let's be honest with each other. That probably doesn't describe us very well. When was the last time you heard someone complain because other people just wouldn't let them listen? I don't think I've ever heard that. Or when did you hear about someone calling someone else up because they just needed to listen? That's not something that is normally done either. But James says that's exactly who we should be. We should be people who can't wait, people who are impatient to listen. And our eagerness to listen should be accompanied by a reluctance to speak. We should be people who slow down before we speak. 
And let's be honest again, I'm afraid that doesn't describe me very well, and I don't think that describes many of us very well either. See if this rings true at all for you. Do you ever find yourself so anxious to reply to something someone else is saying that you quit really paying attention to what they're saying because you're thinking about what you're going to say? That rings true for me. Or maybe you give opinions without really thinking about the situation that's been presented to you. That describes me. Maybe you become uncomfortable when there's a break in the conversation and there's silence. So you say anything, just anything, because you're uncomfortable with the silence. That also describes me. And James is well aware of our natural tendency to be quick to speak. And he says, slow down. He says, regain control. He says, be very careful. Choose your words wisely. And if you do that, maybe other people will become eager to listen to you. And there's a third leg to James's proverb. And that's about anger. He says, be slow to become angry. Put it another way, James tells us to be people who don't give control over to our anger. So why would James address anger while he's talking about listening and when he's talking about speaking? Well, I think most of us probably immediately see the relationship because we have experienced that relationship between anger and speech and listening. And we know that anger takes control of our minds and anger takes control of our ears and anger takes control of our mouths. I would put it this way, when I'm angry, my mind tends to narrow, my ears tend to close, and my mouth tends to open. Minds narrow, ears close, and mouths open. I think we all know that there's danger in anger. See, when we're angry, we're prone to be slow to listen, but very quick to speak. And anger leads us to say and do things that are harmful, things that are destructive, things that are sinful. James puts it this way. He says, your anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. If I was writing this letter, I might say something like this. You need to keep control of your anger because anger stands in the way of doing the right thing. And it opens the door to doing the wrong thing. There's danger in anger. There's danger in anger because of the effects that it can have on our church family. See, when James wrote this letter, he knew that the last thing that those Christians who were reading this needed was turmoil within the family. They were facing outside persecution. They were facing trials. They were facing temptations. They were separated from their spiritual mentors. And the last thing they needed was to have turmoil within the church family. And that's the last thing we need within our church family as well. You see, anger is dangerous because it's a relationship killer. The things that we say and the things that we do out of anger are destructive and they're long-lasting and sometimes they're all but impossible to repair. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the strength that comes when our individual strands are tied together to build a very strong cord, a strong cord that isn't easily broken. But we need to understand that anger damages those strands. 
And when it damages those individual strands, it also weakens the cord and it leaves us all vulnerable to outside temptations. So James says, one important way to keep our church family strong is for each of us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and be people who keep control over our ears and our mouths by keeping control of our anger. But James isn't just concerned about our listening habits as we deal with our relationships with each other. He's also concerned about our listening habits as we deal with our relationship with God's word. Listen again to James's instructions. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, for someone who died centuries ago, James sure seems to know us really well. And he knows that not only do we have a problem with being quick to act before we have listened He also knows that we have a problem with hearing the truth and not doing anything about it. So James calls on us to listen with action. He says, listen with action instead of acting in haste or anger without really listening. He says, listen with action instead of listening to the word without acting, without responding to the word. See, God's word is meant to be absorbed. It's meant to be consumed just like food so it becomes a part of us. It's meant to be consumed so it's written not just on the pages of our Bibles, but so it's written on our hearts. And when we are people who are quick to consume God's word, God's word will change us. It will transform us and it will transform our actions. It will transform our thoughts. And it will certainly transform our speech. James is pretty blunt. His words are very blunt here. He says, if we're hearing the word and we're not being transformed, we are deceiving ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. We're claiming to be something that we are not. So James, as he does throughout this letter is challenging us to live a different life. He's challenging us to live a life where we live out his brother's teachings, where we live out Jesus' teachings. In fact, James is really echoing this story that Jesus told. You're familiar with it, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We know how it goes. The rain came down and the floods came up and the winds blew. But the wise man's house stood, stood firm, right? But there's a, another man. There's a foolish man. That's the man who hears these words of Jesus and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the rains come down and the floods come up and the winds blow and the foolish man's house goes we can all do this right go smash right falls with a great crash the NIV says wise listeners wise listeners put God's words into practice they live it they act it out they build their lives on God's word But foolish listeners are unchanged by God's word. 
They hear it, but they don't live it. And the consequences of that are disastrous. So James reinforces Jesus' teachings. He tells us that if we think we are right with God because we repeatedly, because Sunday after Sunday and day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, we hear the word and we read the word. He says you're kidding yourself if you think that just hearing it is going to make you right with God. James says you have to hear it and you have to do it. Otherwise, you're deceiving yourself. You're being foolish. You're just trusting in sand. And so, James, to make sure we understand just how foolish it is to hear and not do, James paints us a word picture of his own. He paints us a word picture of a foolish person who's doing a foolish thing. But this time it's not a foolish person who's building a house. It's a foolish person who's looking in a mirror. James 1.23. James gives us this picture. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And I have to tell you, until recently, that's a word picture that really didn't make much sense to me. In fact, it was more confusing than anything else. And I think the reason it didn't make much sense to me was because I was looking at James's word picture through young and modern eyes. Be prepared, this is true confession time. When I was younger, much younger, my primary use of a mirror was to spend time in front of it admiring myself, to check myself out, if you will. Probably doesn't surprise you to hear that I don't do that very much anymore. See, I use a mirror now like James's original readers used a mirror. They would peer into their dim reflection, likely in a piece of polished metal. And they would be peering into that reflection intently for practical reasons. They were looking for things that needed to be corrected. Maybe a face that needed washing. Maybe a beard that needed trimming. In my case, I now look in the mirror to see if any three-inch eyebrows or maybe three-inch ear hairs appeared magically overnight. But I especially use a mirror now to look at my teeth. to See if I have any food caught in my teeth. Because I'm at that age where that's a constant problem. You can bring up the next slide. I feel like I need to be very careful about not being like this poor woman. See, this is the word picture that James is giving us. He's saying, hearing and not doing is like looking in the mirror and seeing some lettuce stuck on your tooth and then going away and not doing anything about it, just forgetting that it's even there. It's a purposely ridiculous example to show just how foolish it is to hear the truth of God's word and then not live it. And James says it's good to look intently at ourselves. It's good to examine ourselves, not to admire ourselves, but to see if there are things that need to be corrected. That's why we look in the mirror to examine ourselves. We're looking at whether or not we're living the good news of Jesus Christ. 
We're looking to see if we are actually doers of God's word. We're looking to see if our lives reflect the life and teachings of our master, Jesus Christ. And our mirror is God's word. As James says, we are to look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And we are to continue to do that, not forgetting what we have heard, but, but doing it. And if we will do that, we will be blessed in what we do. That's a different kind of mirror. See, we're looking into God's word as our mirror to see what's written on our hearts. And what's written on our hearts is reflected in what we do and especially in what we say. And that's why James immediately turns his attention back to our words. That's why he warns us again about the importance of our speech, the importance of what comes out of our mouths. Verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So if we look in the mirror, if we examine ourselves, and if there when we examine ourselves we see that our tongues are unbridled, our tongues are uncontrolled, if we see that we are quick to speak, if we see all of that and then we walk away and don't do anything about it, if we leave that lettuce on our tooth, James says our religion is worthless. Worthless, of no value. It's of no value because we've only heard the word, but we aren't living the word. Later on in this letter, James will return to the subject of controlling our tongues. In chapter 3, he spends a lot of time talking about the importance of controlling our tongues. And in a few weeks, we'll spend all of our sermon time talking about the importance of that. How crucial it is for us individually and how crucial it is for us as a church family. It's important for us to be slow and careful in what we say. And it's important for us to be slow and careful what we say to each other and what we say about each other. And let me just say for now, there is nothing more destructive to the relationships within a church than tongues gone wild. And we will talk more about that in a couple of weeks. So then James moves on from spotlighting worthless religion to spotlighting worthwhile religion. Religion that has value, religion that has substance. Verse 27, he writes this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, what James is telling us, that how we treat those considered by society to be worthless is what makes our religion worthwhile. It's how we treat those who seem to have no value. It's how we treat those who are incapable of returning our favors. It's how we take care of the needs of those who are in great pain, those who are anxious, those who are mourning, those who are suffering physically or mentally or spiritually. It's how we take care of the least of these among us that also reveals what's written on our hearts. 
See, pure hearts do pure things. And when from our hearts we serve each other and we serve others by taking care of their needs tenderly and taking care of their needs compassionately, when we treat them like Jesus treated the suffering, we can know that is coming from hearts made pure. Hearts that are made pure by Jesus. So James closes this section with a plea. And that plea is for us to keep our hearts pure. See, our hearts have been purified by Jesus Christ and our hearts are to be kept pure. And how will we do that? Well, we'll do that by looking intently into God's word of truth. And we'll do that by examining ourselves carefully. We'll examine our hearts and we will be doers of God's word. We won't just hear, but we will do. And when we do, our lives and our actions will reflect the life and actions of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Our lives and actions will reflect the word of truth that's been implanted in our hearts, implanted in our purified hearts. So how will that be reflected in our lives? What will that look like? Well, that will look like Jesus Christ. And we are blessed to have Jesus Christ's teachings. We spent a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount not too long ago. And I want to talk about the things that we will do that will reflect Jesus Christ that are taken right out of the Sermon on the Mount So Netherwood Park, this is who we will be. We will be people who choose reconciliation over anger. Reconciliation over anger. We will be people who choose contentment over lust. Contentment over lust. We will choose faithfulness over infidelity. Faithfulness over infidelity. And we will choose honesty over deception. Honesty instead of deception. And we will choose forgiveness over retaliation and judgment. Forgiveness over retaliation and judgment. And we will choose compassion over indifference. Compassion over indifference. And we will choose generosity over selfishness. Generosity over selfishness. And we will choose loyalty to God over loyalty to the world. Loyalty to God instead of loyalty to the world. In short, we will choose to serve the Lord. We said that throughout this year, we were going to call each other, we were going to bring each other to making a stronger commitment to serving the Lord. And we said that periodically we're going to do that by standing up and making that commitment together. And good news is we're going to do that this morning. So I'm going to ask you to please stand up. And we're going to echo back, if you really believe it, if your choice really is to serve your Lord above all others, 
I'm going to ask Netherwood Park, choose this day whom you will serve, and I'm going to ask you to respond back to me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Netherwood Park, choose this day whom you will serve, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we affirm here now in your presence that we do choose to serve you. We choose to serve you by choosing reconciliation. We choose to serve you by choosing contentment. We choose to serve you by choosing faithfulness. We choose to serve you by choosing honesty. We choose to serve you by choosing forgiveness. We choose to serve you by choosing compassion. And we choose to serve you by choosing generosity. And we choose to serve you by choosing loyalty to you, Father, instead of loyalty to this world in which we live. And Father, we make these commitments to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. Let's sing to our God.